Hello again, Fight fans. Welcome to The Neutral Corner, episode number 121. I am Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Real quick, wanted to give a couple shout-outs to new Patreon pledges this week. Nicholas Coyne and Eric Edmonds, thank you so, so much for uh, contributing to Montero Unboxing and keeping this channel moving forward, guys. Really cannot say, uh, cannot express my, my gratitude enough. Thank you, everybody who uh, contributes on Patreon. Also wanted to give a quick announcement. Those of you who follow me on Facebook and stuff like that, you've already seen the post that I've made with Tiffany. But uh, those of you who don't, this is news to you. I am officially moving to Atlanta next month, late next month in May. We're actually driving coast to coast, Tiffany and I moving to Atlanta. We have a great opportunity out there. Uh, for those of you curious about what that means for me and my boxing and stuff like that, that is not going to change. In fact, I think it's going to open up more doors for boxing because our money is going to stretch further out there. There's a bunch of opportunities. Our proximity to New York and the East Coast fights will be more. We're going to be back here in LA and in Las Vegas all the time. As a matter of fact, I already have trips lined up in July and September to come back to LA to work on projects. So consider me by coastal guys, but the home base of operations as of the end of May, beginning of June, is going to be Atlanta, Georgia. It's a growing, nice city. It's a clean place, and it's a place where I can buy a house with a yard. And Tiffany and I, who you guys know, I just got engaged. We could plan our future together with kids and a home and everything like that. But a big part of it for me and part of my business plan with MOB is to build a real studio there. I'm talking a real deal studio setup where we can take the neutral corner to the next level. You guys already know I'm working on the call-in feature, but I want live video. I want the whole nine. It's going to take time. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of pieces. But doing that from Atlanta is going to be much, much more efficient and cost-effective than doing it from Los Angeles. And on top of that, Tiffany with her job, which is moving us out there and everything else, uh, the opportunities for us are huge. So I just wanted to, you know, put that out there to you guys. One thing about me, I like sharing my personal life with you guys. It, it's just, um, I don't know, it, it's important. I feel like we're all boxing family, and I just like to tell you guys what's going on in my life. So any questions you have, you know, drop a comment below. I'll answer them uh, to the best that I can right now. But let's get on to news and notes. All right, so a lot of news and notes to cover, right? But First and foremost, I want to address this situation between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. So there was some news last week about apparently a $50 million offer from Deontay Wilder and his team made to Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua. Now, I spoke to Lou DiBella on the phone today, and we talked about this offer. He talked about the $12.5 million offer that came from Eddie Hearn. Guys, without going into a bunch of detail and wasting an hour of your time, as I've said before, and I will continue to say, this is all bullshit. It's all part of the sausage being made. This fight, if it ever is going to happen, and I really do think it will happen, it's going to be next spring at the earliest. Until then, all these back and forth negotiations, it's just part of it. It's just the posturing to push the fight. Now, is it Team Wilder that's postponing the fight and pushing the fight? No, it's Team Joshua. It's the same situation with Canelo and Golovkin. If you think back, it was Triple G that was chasing Canelo, right? Canelo was the A-side. They were the, the money guy. They still are. But they took their time with that promotion. They wanted to line things up and do it their way by their rules. And we're seeing the same damn thing with Joshua and Wilder. Now, do I love it? Is that what I prefer? No. But that's boxing business. That's how this happens happens. Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn, they are the A-side. They can do fights fighting Carlos Takam, guys like that, and do 70, 80,000 people, you know, the crowds. They could do massive TV numbers over there in the UK, massive pay-per-view numbers. Why would you rush into the biggest fight in the sport with Deontay Wilder when you don't need to? Again, I'm talking from their perspective. I'm not talking from a fan's perspective. I'm just telling you guys the way this shit goes. If you're Team Wilder, there is no bigger fight. You cannot get anywhere near 
the amount of money that you can get for Anthony Joshua. So yes, they're ready for that fight right now. And I genuinely believe Lou DiBella and Deontay Wilder, Shelly Finkel, they want that fight now. They would do it this year if they could. Although, the fight with Dominic Brazil is already lined up for later this summer. Dominic Brazil, that's who they're going to fight. On the other side, Anthony Joshua is going to fight Drell Big Baby Miller to build up the profile in America. Guys, it's a plan. It's a 12-month plan. Just chill out. Look, if you enjoy talking for hours on these Google chats and stuff, I've seen some videos on YouTube that have spent weeks talking about these back and forth negotiations like it's a real thing. If that's entertainment to you and that's what you enjoy doing, good for you. I'm not going to knock that. But I don't want to waste your time on this channel. I only talk about stuff if it's legitimate. And right now, any negotiations between Joshua and Wilder are pure 100% USRDA bullshit. Fight will happen next year, okay? Now, let's talk about something that matters. Canelo Alvarez apparently gave the Nevada State Athletic Commission a hair follicle sample on March 29th that they tested and it came back completely negative for clenbuterol. Now, what I don't know right now are the details. I am currently working on a piece for Ring Magazine that Doug Fisher wants me to put together about this case, about the whole Canelo clenbuterol scandal, how, if at all, it has changed the landscape of anti-doping and boxing. So this week alone, I've got interviews set up with Tom Loeffler. I just talked to Lou DiBella today, today. Bob Bennett, who actually I have to give the man credit. I reached out to him Friday, and he responded right away, and he's willing to, inter to interview with me. I, I have to give the man credit because, you know, we have a colorful history together. Mauricio Suleiman, another guy I got to give a ton of credit to, who I reached out to Friday. Actually, him and, and Nancy Rodriguez, who, who works with the BC, they reached out to me Friday to, to answer some of the questions and some of my criticisms that I've, been, that I've had on Twitter and here on this channel. Uh, so, so I got to give them credit. I've been talking with them about this case. Also, Margaret Goodman of Vada. And uh, who am I forgetting? I'm trying to reach out to Eric Gomez of Golden Boy Promotions, yet to hear something back from him. Anyway, I've been interviewing all those people this week. And I've started talking with them Friday, some of them, to get some more information about this hair follicle sample. Here's what I want to know. How is it collected? Did Canelo come to Vegas? Did a commission official cut the hair off his body? Or was it an official from the lab in Salt Lake City? Did they come to Vegas and collect the sample? Or was it given to them by somebody at Golden Boy Promotions? Did somebody witness it being cut off of Canelo? What was the chain of custody of the hair follicle sample? If indeed somebody right there in Vegas cut it off of Canelo's body, did it go, uh, what was the chain of custody between that person and the lab in Salt Lake City that processed it? These are the kinds of questions I'm asking. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. As soon as I get information, I might not be able to give it to you guys right away because I'm gonna have to save some of it for that piece in Ring Magazine. It will be exclusive to Ring but once that is released and I get the okay from Doug Fisher, the editor, I will let you guys know what I know here on this channel. And believe me, the information you're going to get from me is going to be exclusive and better information than you're getting anywhere else because I'm talking to all of the people that freaking matter in this case, okay? So all I'm going to say right now is this much. For Canelo, if it is legitimate and... Literally, somebody at Nevada, the, the commission there, or somebody at the lab took the hair off of him physically and processed it. The chain of custody is all accounted for. It was all signed off. It's all legit. And that hair follicle sample came back negative. It adds a ton of credibility to the contaminated meat reasoning that he gave for the positive uh, clenbuterol samples when he gave a urine test on February 17th and 20th. A lot of you guys have asked on Twitter, well, how could urine samples have a trace of clenbuterol and hair follicle sample have none? Because drugs excrete differently and break down differently in different body tissues. Different drugs will break down and excrete at different rates in urine versus blood versus hair. Completely different. 
So you're getting uh, different tests on different body parts or substances of the body that show you different things, okay? It's like the only, I, I guess, the only analogy I could give is an MRI, a CT scan, and an X-ray can all be used. If you have an injury, if you have a hurt shoulder or you have back problems and you go to the doctor, you have a hip problem, they might do an X-ray. It might not give them enough. They might do a CT scan. Then they do an MRI or whatever order. Those are three different tests that show them three different things. That's what I'm talking about here, guys. So the fact that this test came back completely negative, that can happen with a urine test having a positive, uh, even if it's trace elements, a positive amount of a drug. That's very scientifically possible. One of the names I forgot to mention earlier, I've been talking to Victor Conti. I'm going to talk more to him, to him uh, this week. I'm going to interview him about this case. I'm going to see him at the fights Friday and Saturday, talk to him in person, and we'll talk about the science behind this. And if you guys follow him on Twitter, he's been tweeting a lot of stuff out about this hair follicle sample. It was the best thing Team Canelo could have done in this case. I'll say this much, though, and this is something I really want to talk to Eric Gomez about. Why wasn't it mentioned during the April 3rd press conference Golden Boy Promotions had to announce Canelo was withdrawing from the rematch with Golovkin May 5th? Why did they not discuss it then? Was it kept confidential as part of Nevada State Athletic Commission's investigation? Was there some kind of legal protocol and that's why they had to keep it quiet? Is it because the test results had not come back yet? That's what I want to know because apparently... That sample was taken days before that press conference, and for them to not mention it there seems strange to me. So I want to know more about that. Okay, we'll talk more about this, guys. Obviously, it's an ongoing thing. Let me talk about some fights coming together. Uh, Jaime Mangua, Mangua is stepping in for Liam Smith, who withdrew due to illness, to face Saddam Ali for his WBO junior, man, uh, junior middleweight title Sorry, on May 12th. Jaime Mang Mangua was supposed to fight, well, it was in the talks and talks to possibly fight Gennady Golovkin May 5th, but ultimately they decided he wasn't ready and he wasn't ready. Not at all ready for that type of fight. I like this fight between him and Saddam Ali. If he is who we think he is and he looks like he could be the goods, he should show us something against Ali. Ali is more experienced. He's coming off that fight with Miguel Cotto where he won that title. He should start off fast in this fight and be ahead halfway through if Mang I'm probably butchering this name if Jaime Mangia is who we think he is halfway through the fight he should be learning on the job and he should come back and chop Ali down we'll see I think there's a very very good possibility but I want to look more into that fight before I give an official prediction also a fight that came together for June 8th Diego De, De La Hoya will be headlining another Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN card the same weekend of the International Boxing Hall of Fame induction ceremonies up in Kennestota, New York. And in this last class has Vitaly Klitschko, Eric Morales, and Winky Wright. That's a hell of a class, man. So, so that should be fun. Errol Spence, Carlos Ocampo is finally officially announced for June 16th in Dallas. I think it's great that Spence is taking care of his mandatory in Dallas. He should be building up a brand there. I've been saying that for a while now. Also, by now you've heard Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez is out of the card, the Triple G Martirosian card this Saturday due to visa issues. So that's it with news and notes this week, guys. Let's get into the review of what took place last week. Saturday, April 28th in Offenburg, Germany, Arthur Abraham wins a split decision over Patrick Nielsen. Look, for Abraham, split decision over a Danish journeyman. Right, and this was coming off of his shutout loss to Chris Eubank last July. We all saw how Chris Eubank looked against George Groves in his last fight. So I think, needless to say, Arthur Abraham, time is there, dude. It's it's time to hang him up. Uh, in his prime, Arthur Abraham was a dangerous fighter because he could really, really punch. I just always felt he was a little overrated, even at middleweight. He was very dangerous because he was a big puncher there, but. He, he always had that, you know, puncher's chance and everything. I, I just always thought he was a bit overrated. Some people really felt he was this elite level, pound-for-pound pound level fighter, and I thought he was a notch below that. But 
he's carved out a very, very good career for himself. You know, he's won titles, he's made a lot of money, he's done well for himself. But at this stage, if you're getting a split decision over Patrick Nielsen, you're getting shut out by Chris Eubank Jr., who has the boxing fundamentals of a corpse, I think that, you know, you need to think about hanging them up, dude. All right, here in America, we had a few cards going on. At the Don Haskins Convention Center in El Paso, Texas, it was PBC on Fox. Erickson Lubin gets back in the ring and back in the win column, gets a TKO4 win. Claudio Marrera scores a KO1 over Jorge Lara in a bit of an upset. Uh, the Dominican Marrera was coming off a KO7 loss in his last fight, which was last September. For Lara, the Mexican fighter, this was his first professional loss. So a bit of an upset in that opener, especially a KO1. Nobody saw that coming. Anthony Durrell scores a unanimous decision win over Abraham Hahn, who is a local fighter from there in Texas. Dropped Hahn in the first round, pretty much won every round of this fight. And now Durrell is 5-0 since his majority decision loss to Badu Jack back in 2015, his only loss. So, you know, he's still a very, very serviceable fighter in a super middleweight division. Jose Cito Lopez scores a unanimous decision win over, over Miguel Cruz in a 10-rounder in the main event. Lopez is now 3-0 since his TKO 6 loss to Andre Berto back in the beginning of 2015, one of the first PBC cards. It was here in California in the Inland Empire, uh, about an hour or so east of Los Angeles. I was ringside for that one. I remember that. One of the first shows PBC had, man. Uh, it's crazy to think. Three years has flown by like that. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. All right, Barclays Center in Brooklyn, a matchroom card on HBO. Katie Taylor, let's talk female boxing real quick here, wins a unanimous decision over an Argentinian fighter, Victoria Bustos, to unify lightweight titles and for taylor so early in her career she's now nine and oh to already unify titles she's absolutely on the fast track and she's uh, on the way to being the biggest female attraction in boxing and likely the biggest female attraction in fight sports now that ronda rousey you know that bubble was burst and that ship has sailed and with all the troubles ufc has been having the last year or so anyway katie taylor is really really lined up to become the next female fight sports star. Now, do I think she's going to be anywhere near the crossover Ronda Rousey was? No, the demographics in boxing are different. You can't fool people as easy. So she's not going to be that kind of star. But back in her homeland, man, she's already a name. And again, she's already unified titles now, less than 10 fights in. And HBO Boxing showed highlights of her fight during their broadcast. That never happens. They don't. They do not show female boxing on HBO, and they were very complimentary of her. You know, they they gave her a lot of compliments. Here's the thing, though, with this fight, Bustos had a title, the Argentinian fighter, but she had never fought outside Argentina. She had four losses coming in. So yes, unified titles here, good for her. But there's no real challenge or names for Katie Taylor right now in the division. If I'm Eddie Hearn, I'm just going to keep her busy, keep collecting titles. Go the Gennady Golovkin route and just stay busy and grab titles. Unify all these titles. At some point, though, if Katie Taylor wants to break out and be like more of a crossover type of star, at least in Europe, broader Europe, I'm talking outside of Ireland, outside the UK, maybe moving up to welterweight and fighting Cecilia Brekus, who I'll talk about later in this episode, she's the biggest name in female boxing right now, globally, right? Cecilia Brekus. She's a welterweight. She's a little bigger, naturally stronger, but she's getting old. She's in her late 30s now. Maybe Katie Taylor at some point can think about moving up in weight, challenging her after she cleans out her own division. That could make her a big, big star, okay? Co-main, heavyweights, and I do mean heavyweights. Jarrell Big Baby Miller, all 304 and a half pounds of him, wins a unanimous decision over the Frenchman, Johan Duapas, all right, so he's lined up to fight, to fight Anthony Joshua later this fall. That's what we're going to see. We all know it. He's going to talk up a good, fight, a good game. It's going to be a fun promotion. He's a loud talker New Yorker. He's going to get a lot of people in New York to pay attention to this British kid, Anthony Joshua. He's going to get a lot of mainstream sports fans who just happen to catch the promotion somehow to take a look. And seeing a big 300-pound trash-talking fat ass 
crumble to the canvas off a straight right hand from Anthony Joshua is going to be a spectacle, especially after months and months of talking shit and pissing Joshua off. I think it's a great way for Eddie Hearn to introduce Anthony Joshua to the American fighting, uh, to the American fighting fight fans, right? One thing about AJ, he's had some fights on American TV. They've all been same day uh, or either you know, tape delay or when, they, when they're live from the UK, it's in the afternoon here. He's never fought prime time in America on prime time premium cable here. Coming over to fight Jarrell Big Baby Miller, that's going to be big for him. It's the right type of opponent for him. I like Jarrell Big Baby Miller. A lot of people think I, I just hate the guy. I don't hate anything about him. I, he's entertaining. He's fun. He's a great personality, which we need more of in American boxing, especially in the heavyweight division. He does throw a lot of punches. He is light on his feet. He does have some real athleticism and boxing skill to him. Very comfortable in the ring. Almost James Tony-esque in his comfort in the ring. However, I don't know if he punches as hard as some of the elite light heavyweights. Guys like Sergey Kovalev, Adonis Stevenson, Dmitry Bivol might literally punch harder than Jarrell Miller. He does not punch hard. I know for a fact, guys like Murat Gassiev, Oleksandr Usyk, Junior Dortikos, these cruiserweights, punch harder than Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Does not punch hard. Throws a lot of punches, leans on you, mauls, grapples, which makes for a somewhat entertaining fight because it's a big guy throwing a lot of punches. But there is nothing about this dude that concerns Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder for that matter. I think Joseph Parker would win a unanimous decision. It's, we still don't know how Miller can catch. Yes, he's taken shots from guys like Duapas and others, right? Marius Vock, guys like that, Gerald Washington. He hasn't taken a punch from a top five heavyweight. It's possible a guy like Joseph Parker could hurt him. We don't know yet. But I know for damn sure a guy like AJ probably could. If he does have a chin, if he does have the whiskers to take shots from a massive athletic heavyweight like AJ or like Deontay Wilder, he's going to go rounds and he'll, he'll prove to be a challenge like that because he could take shots. There's just nothing to this guy that's going to hurt those fighters. Or the boxing skills are good, but the fundamentals aren't so good that they're gonna, he's going to outbox somebody like AJ or Wilder or even, like I said, Parker. I'd pick Ortiz. to be, Ortiz, I don't know. I don't know. I'd still probably favor Ortiz to beat Miller at this point. That's just what I see, man. And, and look, real quick about the weight. I've said this before. You don't dress for the job you have. You dress for the job you want. Now, some of you have suggested, oh, he came in as a fat ass because he knew he was fighting Johan Duapas, a guy who wasn't going to seriously challenge him. If he fights AJ, he'll trim down to 270, blah, blah, blah. Guys, that's bullshit. If you're trying to make this fight the fight of your life against AJ and you're trying to get fans excited, you dress for that fight. You prepare for that fight. You weigh 270 now to get people impressed, to get people talking. You don't show up 20-some pounds heavier than your last damn fight, which wasn't very good. So I, I just, look, it's going to be fun watching Jarrell Miller until he gets knocked the F out against AJ this fall. I'm curious to see what he does after that. Will he come back after that? Will he keep on challenging? Will he become a Bryant Jennings type of heavyweight? Or a Kubrat Pulev, you know, a guy on that level, an Alexander Povetkin, a guy that can still make for some entertaining fights here and there, here and there, a lower top 10 type heavyweight that can stay in the mix or really just fade away after he gets exposed. We'll find out. All right, main event, Daniel Jacobs wins a unanimous decision over Masiek Suleski. Masiek Suleski. I know I'm butchering that name. Everybody's been butchering it for a week now. Dropped him in the 12th round. The scores, it's not even worth really, the scores were pretty good, right? I scored at 116-111, eight rounds to four. I thought it was that kind of fight. Some of you saw it as close as 7-5, and one of the judges did as well. I think either of those is fine. Honestly, though, Daniel Jacobs clearly won this fight, guys. It was a close fight. I think that Jim Lampley and especially Roy Jones 
really saw it as this one-sided beatdown. That's not quite what I saw. Surprisingly, on the broadcast, it was Max Kellerman, who was the voice of reason, saying, guys, this fight's closer than that. And, you know, I felt he was the best that night, which has been rare lately. Uh, Roy Jones has been doing a pretty good job recently, and Max has been annoying the hell out of me. But on this night, it was in reverse. Either way, Daniel Jacobs gets this win. A lot of people have talked about him getting hit a lot by Seleski, him looking sloppy. I, is it possible he took Seleski a little lightly? Yeah, but it's also possible that, so look, Seleski was really a junior middleweight, did not punch hard for that division. I think he has, I, I can't remember his KO percentage. It's like 20, 30%. He doesn't stop guys. He doesn't even drop guys. He doesn't stop guys in their tracks. And that's a junior middleweight. So at middleweight, he wasn't going to hurt Jacobs. And I just think Jacobs didn't respect the guy's power and got a little bit lazy and tried to be entertaining in there at times. And so he ate punches that he wouldn't eat against Gennady Golovkin. Because I know the first thing everyone said on Twitter is, oh, if that was Gennady Golovkin landing those punches, this shit would be over. Well, yeah, no shit. But Jacobs obviously wouldn't fight the same way against Golovkin or Canelo or even Billy Joe Saunders and guys like that or Charlo, whoever, as he would fight against Suleski. For Suleski, he showed some craft and athleticism and skills. He needs to drop six pounds and fight at junior middleweight. He could win a title there. Even though he doesn't punch very hard, think of this guy as sort of, I'm not comparing him exactly, but sort of an Eastern European Slavic version of Pauli Malignaggi, where he doesn't punch very hard, but he does have hand speed and athleticism, and that might be enough to get him over against some guys in that division and possibly win a title. I mean, think about Seleski fighting a guy like Saddam Ali right now. I think he could probably beat Saddam Ali. I'm not saying he would, but I'm saying he could. Those two guys fighting in New York, should Seleski be... Uh, should he be successful in his first title defense that I talked about that's coming up in, uh, in May? That would be a fun fight. And I'd give Seleski a very, very good shot, okay? For Jacobs, he remains at this point the third, probably third best middleweight. You got to rate Golovkin one, obviously. You got to rate Canelo two. And then I put Jacobs right there at three. Maybe you got Billy Joe Saunders, number three. I think him and Jacobs are interchangeable. I actually think Jacobs is more proven in his loss to Golovkin than, uh, than Saunders is with his win over Lemieux. I mean, Jacobs has just done more against more better opposition. So I'd rate Jacobs three. But either way, he's clearly still a top middleweight. And now apparently... Uh, I think this is for the WBA, one of their bullshit titles or interim this, that, whatever. At some point, it's going to be lined up either for um, Ryota Murata, the Japanese fighter who has the WBA regular, or he's going to get a crack at, at Golovkin again, the WBA super middleweight champ. He also called out Jamal Charlo, who is the WBC mandatory for Golovkin after this fight. I would love to see Daniel Jacobs and Jamal Charlo fight. The winner of that fight Deserves a shot at Golovkin. Those are the kind of fights we need to see more of. Jacobs versus Charlo versus Derevyanchenko versus Saunders versus Murata. Those guys need to be fighting each other and prove themselves before they go after the top guy. That's how this thing's supposed to work. But politics doesn't always work that way. All right, at the Leah Chorus Center in Philadelphia, was top rank on ESPN. And on the undercard... There's a bunch of fights here on this undercard. It was actually a pretty, pretty well-stacked card. The Brazilian Olympian, three times in the Olympics, and finally got a gold in Rio in 2016. Robson Conseco, he wins a unanimous decision in six rounds. Shakur Stevenson, the 2016 American Olympian, gets a TKO2 win. Bryant Jennings, the heavyweight, scores a unanimous decision over Joey Deweco, wins the vacant Pennsylvania heavyweight title. Deweco had beat Jennings in the amateurs. So for Brian Jennings, this was revenge for him to get this win in the pros. And he stays in the mix at heavyweight. I think at some point he's going to be lined up for maybe another title opportunity, but probably a, a eliminator type opportunity. And it'd be interesting to see what he does. I'm, I think Jennings is still an interesting heavyweight. I don't know if he's top 10, but he's definitely top 15. He's right in the bubble of top 10. He's a win away from being top 10 and being lined up again for an eliminator type of fight. Comain, 
Jesse Hart scores a TKO 7 win over Damon Nicholson. It really made him quit in that fight. Uh, dropped him a couple times. Uh, the ref screwed up a couple of these knockdown calls. There were some knockdowns that he missed and called him a slip. There were some slips that he called knockdowns. Not the best night for the ref. And then the whole sequence at the end was kind of odd. He told uh, Nicholson, who basically took a knee after taking some hard shots by Hart, uh, to get up. He told, he like, kind of the seven or eight and said, get up, get up. And then when Nicholson got up, he just called off the fight. It's an odd ending, but either way, Nicholson capitulated, he quit. And Hart, another good performance from him. He, was, he really seems to be peaking right now. He's fighting with a lot of motivation. His young father, his father, former fighter, never got to win a title and is having health problems right now. And Jesse's heart is fighting with a heavy heart right now, fighting for his dad. You can see it. Wanting to get that title opportunity before his dad passes. It's, it's actually pretty touching, man. It's, it's hard not to like Jesse Hart, who called out everybody after this win. I mean, he called out everybody, including Gilberto Ramirez, who he lost a competitive fight with before. I think it was last year. Wants that rematch. But he also called out all the guys uh, over in the UK with, with that tournament going on, the Super Series. He wants the winner of that. And you know what? This dude deserves it. Give him a shot. He's earned it. He's earned his place. I'd love to see him and Ramirez rematch. I'd love to see that fight. I think Hart is really peaking. He's a guy to keep an eye on. In the main event, upset special, baby. Isaac Dogbay scores a KO 11 win over Jesse Magdaleno. Dogbay was down in the first. Magdaleno down in the fifth. And twice in the 11th. After the second knockdown, the ref just waved it off. This was a pretty damn good fight. And the way it started, it looked like it might be a one-sided beatdown. Dogbay getting dropped early. He was squaring up a little bit too much and just setting himself up to get caught. Ate a counter shot, went down. I think he was up against the ropes, went down, collected himself. And I don't know if Magdaleno kind of fell in love with his power a little bit or just thought this was going to be an easy night at the office. But what did I tell you guys last week? These fighters from Ghana are freaking tough. And this Dogbay, he was not coming in to lose. He was fighting to win from the opening bell to the end of the fight. And style-wise, Dogbay doesn't jab much. He does square up a lot. He lunges sometimes. He gets himself off balance. But he's a little freaking pit bull the way he fights. And several times in this fight, particularly toward the later rounds, Magdalena would just back himself up into the ropes and let Dogbay tee off on him. And he'd cover up his head well, but he didn't cover up his body. I think it was in the fifth round, it was a counterpunch in the center of the ring to the head that dropped Magdaleno. And from that part, he was watching his head. And so what did Dogbay do? Start going to the body, man. And again, he doesn't jab, but he would he'd get inside, he'd work his way in there, he'd lunge in sometimes and just tee off on the body. And Magdaleno fought a horrible game plan, would back himself into the ropes, let this guy tee off on him. Those body shots clearly, visibly showed him down, and Dog Bay got the job done late. You've got to love it. You got to love it, man. I love seeing these guys come from every corner of the earth and... There's something about these guys from Ghana. When they get opportunities like this, man, they give it 110%. And you could just see the determination in this kid's eyes. He was not going to be denied on that night. For Magdaleno, he had spent a year, after a little over a year, outside the ring. He claimed it was injuries, but those of us who hang around the gyms and talk to people, what we hear is that this dude likes to party in between fights, blow up in weight, and there were several times where he possibly had a fight scheduled or something coming up, was nowhere near fighting weight or fighting shape, I should say, regardless of what his weight was. So he claimed an injury. Maybe he had a nagging sore hand or whatever, and they just exaggerated what that was. And to get the guy time, the, the, the inconsistency between fights, the undisciplined nature of this guy's personal life has hurt him as a professional prize fighter. He looked like shit in this fight. The first half of the fight, he looked okay. But through the middle rounds until the end, he looked like absolute shit. And he had trouble making weight for this fight. Does that mean he needs to move up in weight? For the record, he said he'd like to try to get back, 
you know, 122 again. This was for the WBO 122-pound title, super bantamweight title, and rematch Dog Bay. I'd love to see it. And it, because of his political position being aligned with top rank, I think it's very likely we could see a rematch. If he could get his ass in shape and stay in shape consistently and be at 122 and make that weight comfortably, he should beat Isaac Dogbe. Magdaleno hits harder. He has much better skills. He's a better athlete. He should win that fight. But because of his inconsistency, I don't even know if the dude can make 122 comfortably anymore. He might have to move up to 26, which is a more loaded division. He's going to have less power there. There's guys up there that can match his skill set. I don't know what to think about Magdaleno going forward, man. I don't know what to think. For Dog Bay, tiny little dude, fights like a pit bull. It's going to be fun watching this guy. Do I see a long-lasting career there because of his style? No. I think he's going to have a short title reign. It's going to fade out, but it's going to be a lot of fun while it lasts. All right, guys, so that's what took place last week. Let's preview what's coming up this week. This Wednesday, May 2nd, in Thailand, it is the new TBE. Shyafone Moonsri, the Thai fighter, defending his WBC minimum weight title for the ninth time. This dude's record is 49-0 with 17 knockouts. This is the real TBE, ladies and gentlemen. If he wins this fight, he is Floyd Mayweather with a Thai name. Let's see if he can do this. TBE, y'all. TBE. I think he can do it. Friday, May 4th at the StubHub Center. It's another Golden Boy Promotions card on ESPN2 and ESPN3.com. Those of you in the Southern California, Los Angeles area, I will see you there. I will be there covering this one. Golden Boy uh, just emailed me earlier today saying that I'm good to go. And I didn't know if they'd want me there because I know I'm not their favorite person right now. But I will be there covering this one. So I'll see you guys there. If, uh, if you see me, run into me, say hi. We'll have a beer and uh, we'll talk some boxing. But on this card, Gary Spike O'Sullivan is fighting Berlin A. Brew. If you haven't heard of Berlin A. Brew, don't worry. I haven't either and I do this for a living. Spike O'Sullivan was in talks to fight Gennady Golovkin May 5th. But the uh, when that went from pay-per-view to regular HBO, it changed the financial landscape of the deal. It changed his potential purse, and he didn't think it was worth the amount of money he was going to get to take that beat down against Golovkin. So he took a significantly less amount of money from that deal, right? You're talking a fraction of the original fraction of the deal he was offered to fight this guy. So he's making a hell of a lot less money, but he's going to win. So I guess, you know, and he's getting to fight a day before Golovkin fights, so he's still using his name to promote himself a little bit. He's making a, you know, five figures instead of six figures, but hey, he's making a little bit of money in the process. I, I talked about Spike turning down that fight, and you know, I, I get it. I, I get why he would turn down that fight. I get why strategically he'd do this and maybe line himself up for a fight with Golovkin, or maybe it's Jacobs. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody else in the middleweight division that has been on HBO recently. It makes sense for him. Stay in the wing column, make a little bit of cash, call some people out after this fight and see what you can work yourself into later this fall. Abreu is a Puerto Rican based out of the Dominican Republic. So he's born in Puerto Rico, but lives in the Dominican Republic. He's fought absolutely nobody. In fact, he's only fought one 10-rounder. I don't even think he's fought any eight-rounders. He, he jumped from six-rounders to 10-rounders in his last fight, which he barely won. I think he won by like split decision or something. In the main event, Ryan King Rai Garcia is fighting Jason Velez. Garcia, who is so sexy, is coming off his KO1 win in March, that big, big knockout win on ESPN. And Jason Velez, quality Puerto Rican fighter, been in with some really, really good fighters. He's won some, he's lost some. I want to say he's lost three or four pro fights, but only against, you know, really good opposition. He's never been stopped. So I think this is a good step-up fight for Justin Bieber. I'm sorry, I meant Ryan Garcia. I, I, I like this matchmaking for Golden Boy. And there's going to be a lot of girls there screaming and selfies and all kinds of fun stuff. That's going to be good times watching that. It'll be interesting to see 
how many little teeny bopper pizza face 15-year-old chicks are going to be taking selfies with this dude after the fights? They just love this dude. He's Justin Bieber with, uh, with a Spanish last name. What can I say? All right, so that's Friday, right? Saturday, May 5th. Let's start over in London. We kind of have two cards this weekend on both sides of the pond that aren't the most meaningful cards, but they're going to be fun, all right? Over in London in the O2 Arena, it's the rematch between Tony Bellew and David Hay. Their first fight was last March. It was actually March 4th. It's well over a year ago. It's a TKO 11 win for Bellew. For Bellew, um, who, you know, was behind in the fight, him and his beer gut and all and his skinny little arms, came back to to beat David Hay, who ruptured his Achilles uh, tendon, of all things. I think Bellew broke his hand or hurt his hand. This was just two uh, sloppy, <laughs> past-prime guys wailing on each other. So from that perspective, it was kind of fun. And Hay redeemed himself a little bit after being exposed as a complete fraud against Vladimir Klitschko and having, you know, blaming it all on his pinky toe. You know, I guess if your pinky toe is bruised, you, you know, you turn into a little bitch and you don't fight. I don't know. He redeemed himself in this fight because he had a, a, an actual injury. He ruptured his Achilles tendon, his Achilles heel, and he fought and showed a lot of determination and bravery. So I give him full credit for that. It made for an entertaining fight. But do we need to see it again? Was there anything there that made you say, man, I need to see that shit again. That was elite level martial arts right there. I got to see that again. That was boxing at the highest level. No. Bellew's turning 36 this year. Hayes turning 38 this year. But let's face it. They're both names in the UK. For some reason, Hay is just one of these guys that people love him. He, he's got a fan base. I've never quite understood it. I really did think he was an elite level cruiserweight. A very, very good cruiserweight. I thought he was a quality top 10 heavyweight, just not elite. And he got exposed when he fought the only elite level heavyweight he ever fought. For Bellew, he's not a natural heavyweight. We all know he's really a cruiserweight who's trying to cash out and make some money. I get it. And he's got an interesting personality. Okay. In this fight, just based off what we saw in the first fight, in the way both guys' bodies broke down, but especially Hayes' body broke down, I just think that his body's probably going to betray him again. It's been a year. You're coming off surgery, repairing an Achilles heel, Achilles tendon. That's a pretty big deal. You need that shit to move around the ring. He's never been the most fleet of foot. His punches are more telegraphed than ever. He throws a punch from last week. It might land Tuesday, right? So if Bellew is in shape and can see the shots coming and roll with them and take them, Hay couldn't hurt him in the first fight. He should win a decision here. But if Hay wins, I'm sorry, guys. Don't punch your TV right now. Don't smash your phone. But if Hay wins, we might have to see this shit a third time. All right. StubHub Center here in Los Angeles, HBO. We'll talk about the main event in a second. Let's talk about the undercard. Brian Ceballo, second pro fight. He made his professional debut on March uh, 27th with the first Hollywood Fight Nights card by 360 Promotions that we are at. He's already got a fight scheduled for May 22nd as well. So obviously, I'm not even going to mention the opponent's name because Tom Loeffler doesn't think enough of the opponent to, uh, to not schedule a fight for him. He's already scheduled May 22nd against TBA. So obviously, this kid's supposed to win. But check him out. Interesting looking prospect. Talking about prospects. Ryan Martin, also fighting. Ryan Blue Chip Martin fighting against Bredis Prescott in a 10-rounder. Remember Bredis Prescott? It feels like he's been around forever. Most well-known for decapitating Amir Khan and, and bursting that bubble, being the first guy to just sleep him early in a fight. I think that's back when Khan was that lightweight. Since that point, though, since 2009, Prescott is 10-12. He's lost 12 of his last 22 fights going back to 2009. So even though this guy can punch hard, even though he's carved out some quality wins for himself, what does it tell you? He's a gatekeeper. Still, with all that experience, with the punching power and everything else, this is a nice step-up fight for Ryan Blue Chip Martin, especially on short notice like this. This whole freaking card is short notice. In the co-main, 
It was going to be Roman Gonzalez. He's off the card now. The co-main now is Cecilia Brekus, who's fighting Callie Reese. And this is going to be on HBO. This is historic. I can't think of a time when, I'm not talking HBO pay-per-view. I'm talking regular HBO. HBO Championship Boxing showed a female championship fight. This is groundbreaking shit. For those of you who are all into the Me Too hashtag and all that shit, you should like this. Cecilia Brickhus, Kelly Reese, defending her completely unified welterweight titles. She has five freaking titles, all right? Defending all of them. This is pretty interesting, man. This is, uh, Brick, who's from Colombia, based out of Norway, 5'7", turning 37 this year. She's called the First Lady of Boxing. She's been uh, selling out venues over there in Norway, doing numbers over there. And just now, at this stage of her career, in her late 30s, it took crazy shit to happen. It took Canelo Alvarez eating some contaminated meat, probably. It took... Roman Gonzalez having visa issues. It took all kinds of shit to work out this way. But here is her opportunity. My one beef with Brekus and a lot of these female fighters, they don't punch hard. They don't get knockouts. I would love to see Brekus somehow make a statement and knock Callie Reese out. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to see two girls slapping each other for 12 rounds. But that would be a huge freaking statement to make a big, big statement like that on HBO. And I talked about Katie Taylor before, right? They showed her highlights last week. I know it sounds crazy right now because they're 12 pounds apart, but considering the age difference, considering that the size difference isn't that much, don't call me crazy if I, if I tell you that we might get a Cecilia Brekus, Katie Taylor fight at some point, and HBO might be a part of it. I'm just putting it out there, guys. It could happen. All right, main event, Gennady Golovkin going up against Vanas Martirosian. This is the 19th defense of Golovkin's WBA middleweight title that he won in 2010, the fifth defense of his IBF title, the third defense of his WBC title. Martirosian, I know he looks like he's 48. He's turning 32 this year. He's still a pretty young guy. He went pro early. He's been boxing pretty much since he was in diapers. So uh, although he looks older and it feels like he's been around forever, he went pro in 2005, a year before Golovkin did, right? So he was much, much younger when he went pro because Golovkin is turning, what, 36 this year, 36, 37, somewhere in there. So Martirosian is the younger guy. He's 36, 3, and 1. He's lost, but all but one of the losses were close, controversial maybe, Definitely competitive. There was that one loss to Lara that uh, in their rematch, I think in 2016, that was pretty clear cut. He lost that fight like eight rounds to four. But the other losses were close. And some of them really could have went the other way. Never been stopped. He's 5'11", 70-inch reach. He only fought once in 2016, did not fight at all in 2017. That's not because of him being lazy. It's not because of him being out of shape or not ready. He was begging for fights. He was very unhappy with his management, Al Heyman, in the PBC. And unlike all the other guys in the PBC who were afraid to violate the contracts, when you sign with Al Heyman, there are stipulations in the contract where you cannot badmouth him publicly. You cannot speak bad about Al Heyman or the, that whole operation publicly. It's part of the contract. Martirosian said to hell with that, and he started publicly bashing Heyman, the PBC, his management, because he wasn't getting a fight. They punished him by not giving him a damn fight. So he eventually walked away. He got out of the contract. The only people, the only person that wanted to sign him and give him a favorable deal was Don King. Believe it or not, Don King is still alive. It's false that he's a hologram. He's still alive and he's human, and he's still promoting some people. And Martirosian might be the last guy he's promoting. I don't know. But now he's with Don King, and he came cheap for this fight last minute. He's Armenian. He's from Glendale. He's fought out of the L.A. gyms forever. He's very well known from L.A. to the gyms up in the Bay Area here in California. 
there's going to be a ton of people in the crowd supporting Vanos Martirosian this Saturday. And not just fans, but what I call gym people. Guys he's sparred with, trainers, uh, nutrition people. Guys like that are going to be there supporting him. So there's going to be a cheering section for him. I talked earlier about the losses. He had a draw with Lara back in 2012. That could have went either way. He had a split decision loss to Demetrius Andre in 2013. He dropped Andre in that fight. Many people feel he was robbed in that fight. He had a close unanimous decision loss to Jermel Charlo in 2015, which I thought Charlo eked that out, but it was very close and competitive. And then he lost a clear-cut decision to Lara in their rematch in 2016. So this guy's always been competitive. Now... Is this me trying to sell up that fight or defend it or say it's a great, great, competitive, amazing fight? No, it's just me telling you guys that he's not a scrub. And considering the, the insane situation that Tom Loeffler had to work with, all things considered, you're getting a quote-unquote free fight on regular HBO. This isn't bad, okay? Would you rather, some of you, honestly, I, I feel would rather Golovkin just not fight. Just sit on his ass and not fight May 5th. And you'd rather just watch some stupid bullshit on HBO, some stupid documentary about saving koala bears and shit. Because that's what they do on HBO now. That's what you'd rather watch. I'd rather watch boxing. And yeah, do I love this fight? No. But it's not pay-per-view. It's regular HBO. And let me tell you something. Golovkin's going to rematch Canelo September 15th. That's probably what's going to happen. And he's probably... I think, going to win. And from that point forward, he's going to fight twice a year on HBO pay-per-view. So all you bitching about pay-per-view, this, that, the other thing, and most of you bitching about it, I don't know why you bitch, because you don't buy them anyway. You just stream the shit anyway. But those of you bitching about it, this might be the last time you get to see the man fight on regular HBO, okay? And then for those of you who haven't got to see him fight here in Los Angeles... It's the last time he's fought in L.A. since he fought uh, Marco Antonio Rubio there at StubHub. The tickets are priced too high, I feel. I, I do think that Tom uh, priced them too high. But let me tell you, it's not a sellout. There are tickets available right now, and there are going to be discounts this week. So check it out, man. I'll be there. For those of you who are going to be there Friday and Saturday night, I'll be around, as I said before. Come say hi. Let's have a beer. This is going to be my last one I'm covering in L.A. before I make the move out to Atlanta. But like I said, I'm going to be back all the time covering fights here. Those of you who listen to me on the East Coast, I'm going to be going to those fights up in New York more. I'm going to be going to the fights uh, in Dallas and Houston and those areas more as well, Florida and all that good stuff. So strategically, I'm going to be a little more uh, around the country covering fights now. So anyway, guys, that's it for this week. Let me know what you think. Comment below, like, share, subscribe. Check us out on Patreon. Go to Apple Podcasts, find a neutral corner, drop a rating and a review. Tell your friends. All right, guys, I'll see you at the fights Friday and Saturday night.